Hey everyone, my name is Stephanie and my name is Mara. Welcome to Quality of Life. We interview patients and providers about topics in palliative care medicine. This episode is about advanced directives and healthcare power of attorney. This podcast is supported by the Duke Chancellor Service Fellowship. It is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. We chose this topic because neither of us fully understood what an advanced directive or healthcare power of attorney even were. So what we decided to do was we went to the experts to find out. So join us as we learn the definition of both, including their similarities and differences, how to create them, and lastly, the situations in which they are used. Another thing we want to note is that an advanced directive includes what is known as code status. And this is something you may have heard referred to as DNAR or DNR, which is do not attempt resuscitation. This episode will also cover what that means as well. Thanks for listening. We'll now hear from Vicki Leff a licensed social worker who works in the hospital with the palliative care team. We'll first learn about what exactly an advanced directive is. An advanced directive uh, is a form that can be filled out. Uh, We have them here at the hospital um, that asks people, if you're in an unrecoverable state, what would you want your loved ones or your medical team to do for you to you um, if you're if you're not able to recover from something and so it asks you a bunch of questions such as if you're in an unrecoverable state um, and there's no chance of recovery according to the physicians um, do you want life-sustaining treatments such as um, artificial hydration meaning water through through an IV or a tube do you want artificial nutrition which is not eating but it's food that's uh, or liquid um, nutrition through a tube do you want to have CPR done to you if your heart stops and you have died do you want um, do you want the medical providers to to do CPR um, so it asks a series of question in advance, hence the term advanced directives, helping those around you and your medical team know what you would want if you don't have a voice, meaning if you're so ill that you can't speak for yourself. Obviously, as long as you're thinking clearly and can speak on your own behalf, what you say goes. You're driving the ship. But sometimes something might happen, for instance, if someone has a devastating stroke. They're no longer able to be conscious, they can't speak, and so the medical team would normally be asking them, do you want us to put this tube down your throat to help you breathe? But you can't answer us. And so having an advanced directive, something that you have laid out ahead of time, um, after hopefully conversation with your physicians, with your family, helps them know what would you want if we could ask you right then. Anybody over the age of 18 can fill out an advanced directive. It does need to be notarized in the state of North Carolina. Uh, You can do that at a bank. If you're here in the hospital as a patient, we have notaries who will come and do that for you. Uh, And we have folks who will help um, walk you through the legal kind of stuff that goes, that's in the form. It's not terribly friendly to read through. Um, You can also dissolve that anytime. You can rip it up and do another one. Change your mind. Not a problem. So it's an important tool 
um, that helps those around you, specifically your family and medical providers, know what you would want if you were in a terrible situation. Thank you. I feel like I understand advanced directive so much better now. Could you explain what healthcare power of attorney is then? Is that the same thing or is that something totally different? That's such a good question because it's very, very confusing sometimes. Um, out in the world, people talk about who's your surrogate? Who's your power of attorney? Who's your healthcare power of attorney? And it's very, very confusing. So specifically, a healthcare power of attorney is someone that you designate, you decide who would speak on your behalf if you were not able to speak for yourself, and only if you're not able to speak for yourself, and only about health care decisions, okay? So it's really important to differentiate this between sometimes the word power of attorney is thrown around, and that is a very different form that has lots of financial implications, all kinds of other things. That's not what we're talking about. When someone's here in the hospital and we say to them, who's your health care power of attorney? What I'm really asking is, if you couldn't speak for yourself, who would you entrust to speak on your behalf? Okay, so you have the possible. You don't have to designate a healthcare power of attorney, um, but you can, and anybody can do that again over the age of eighteen. And you can say, you know what? Even though I'm married, and I certainly trust my husband, I would worry that my husband would be so overwhelmed. I'm going to name my friend, who happens to be a nurse practitioner, as my healthcare power of attorney. So that's one example that I would use, like for myself, um, because I know that they'd be able to answer those questions. Do you have to be a medical person to be a Healthcare power attorney? Absolutely not. The only thing that you have to do is to know what your loved one would want if they were in that situation to the best of your ability. If you uh, don't fill out a healthcare power of attorney, and certainly you're not obligated to, then if you can't speak for yourself, the law here in North Carolina would say there's a list of people that we'll go to. And as an example, if you're married, your spouse is your proxy, is your next of kin. So we would ask your spouse, what do you think that your spouse would want if they couldn't speak for themselves? After that, it then gets to the majority of adult children and so forth. So you don't have to do one, but often, especially if you're in a family where there might be some difficult relationships or history, um, and you just wanna make sure that the person is gonna speak on your behalf knows exactly what you want, that's who you need to name. That person has nothing to do with filling out the form. Okay, it is only you designating your healthcare power of attorney who signs the form, and it, again, that has to be notarized and witnessed uh, in order to be valid in the state of North Carolina. Um, the person you're naming, uh, hopefully, you'd have a good conversation with them ahead of time. By the way, I'm naming you healthcare power of attorney, but they don't sign anything. They don't have to be witness to anything whatsoever. This is something that you're directing someone to do. The form, if you're here in the hospital as a patient, uh, we have these forms all over the place. Happy to give them to you. You can also download them from the internet uh, if you search and you have to do it by state. So if you're listening to this in North Carolina, you would type in North Carolina Healthcare Power of Attorney, and hopefully on that first page somewhere there'd be a link to, to um, print out the form. Um, a bank will usually have one as well, and hopefully your primary care providers have them in their offices. Um, and again, you're asking for the health care power of attorney, not power of attorney, which has to do with banking and so forth. Okay. So an advanced directive is the document that a patient makes detailing what their care preferences are. But then the health care power of attorney is the person that they designate to make the medical decisions for them if they were unable to themselves. 
So where do these two documents overlap? Would a healthcare power of attorney use the advanced directive to make medical decisions? That would be the perfect situation, right? Where you've named someone to say, this is the person I trust to make decisions. I can't speak for myself. Not only have I talked to them, but I've also written it down in an advanced directive. So I'm going to look at that, and here's what they said. Does an advanced directive have to be done? No, it doesn't. So let's say someone didn't do an advanced directive, just didn't get around to it, but they did do a healthcare power of attorney. In that form, uh, healthcare power of attorney, it gives that person the, it gives them, let me reverse that, it gives the medical people someone to call. They call Jane and say, Jane, you're Joe's healthcare power of attorney. Here's the situation. Let us give, get you up to date. What do you think he would want us to do? And Joe's told us that it's okay to ask you, and you're going to answer that question for us. Because many times people don't have one or the other. They might have an advanced directive, but they don't have a health care power of attorney. That's okay. I mean, you don't have to have any of these. Mm -hmm. What they help with is when you can't speak for yourself, it, un it, it unloads the burden on a family to know what to do in terrible situations. If you've given some thought to it ahead of time, then they're doing what you want, not what you're struggling, might be struggling with, which, of course, any family member would. One resource we learned about while making this podcast is the Stanford Letter Project. It's an online document that helps guide patients through writing a letter to their family members and or doctors about what is most important to them, what they want at the end of their life, and who they would want to make medical decisions for them. The letter can then be used to fill out the official government forms for advanced directive and healthcare power of attorney. After we went online and looked at the Stanford Letter Project for ourselves, we just thought it was a really thoughtful way to simplify the complicated and jargon-filled official documents and make them more relevant to a person's daily life. So go ahead and check out that resource for yourself. Switching gears a little bit, another term that is thrown around a lot when a patient comes into the hospital is code status or DNAR. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, and it's a question that everybody gets asked when they come to the hospital, each and every time they come to the hospital. It's so confusing. But what it is is just a question um, that everyone is asked in case of an emergency. Um, full code means that should your heart stop beating and you die, we will perform CPR on you. Uh, that's when folks push on your chest and do all kinds of medical, very aggressive interventions to try to bring you back from the fact that your heart has stopped. Um, and say, for instance, you're in a car accident and you go into the emergency room, you can't speak for yourself, they're going to do what's called code you. And that is, they perform that code, they do CPR, and they try to bring you back to life at using every means at every medical intervention possible and, and necessary. So that is the default. Anytime somebody comes to the hospital, everybody is assumed that we will do everything we can to bring someone back if their heart stops. The DNAR is an acronym for Do Not Attempt Resuscitation. So what we just talked about, the, the coding is resuscitating, trying to resuscitate somebody after their heart has stopped. Lots of people decide for a lot of different reasons, that could be a whole other podcast, that in fact they don't want to have somebody attempt resuscitation. Maybe because they um, feel that once their heart stops, they've died, 
they don't want to, you know, have that attempted. They don't think they're worried that maybe the consequence of those attempts might be so harmful, cause a lot of suffering, and that they wouldn't be who they were when they came back, maybe. Um, other people decide that they want to not be resuscitated, maybe because they have a serious or terminal illness, and they don't want to risk that they don't think it's going to work anyway, uh, which there are statistics about how often it works and how often it doesn't. Um, so that's when people can choose any time to be do not attempt resuscitation. I would like to say that I think that there's a bit of a myth out there that if someone decides, I don't think I want to be resuscitated, that that means that medicine was, is giving up on them. And that's not at all the case. It is simply an answer to a procedure if one's heart stops. And that many times in palliative care, people choose to be DNAR, and they are getting very, very aggressive treatments or chemotherapies or all kinds of interventions. So it has nothing to do with the aggressive nature of treatment that they're receiving. It only has to do with that one incident that may or may not happen. As in our previous episodes, we'll now hear from a patient. She will discuss her experience creating an advanced directive and designating a healthcare power of attorney. So I originally, both my husband and I originally wanted to complete that process and also the, get the paperwork done when we were to be married. That was important to, to me in particular to have um, a will settled, anything that related to to now being legally connected to one another um, because you don't ever really know what can go on. So that actually happened prior to my cancer diagnosis, which is a good thing. <laughs> I think it's hard to do it, I would imagine, in the middle of a crisis, a health crisis. So I just kind of – so I've, I've actually had a will for a long time of my own, even before I was married a few years ago. And it seemed natural to me to, when I was married, now there's someone else that cared about me a lot. <clears throat> so that seemed like a natural, natural thing to do. And one of those, you know, pick out your flowers, you know, pick out your wedding cake, and then do your healthcare power of attorney and your advanced directive. Check, check, check. So I got a little bit of direction at the time from my general practitioner because I was not seeing a palliative care physician or an oncology team, of course. So she helped guide me through the language on the documents, and she was very good. So, you, you know, just your general practitioner can help. And then, of course, we also had an attorney that was filing all the paperwork. So if there was any clarification from a legal standpoint, he helped us with that. And the process that I took was... I had to make some decisions about people that would be responsible for my, my health care if for some reason I was unconscious or otherwise. And so what I did was I made um, a choice of who I might want those people to be or that person to be. And I had a conversation with them before I submitted the documents and said, this is not a sad conversation. This is just a matter of fact conversation. And, um, how do you feel about this? And uh, 
lucky for me, the people felt great about it. The other thing I did was I had a conversation with people that I did not select to be that person, which I think was very important because they, I didn't want them to be surprised, you know, come, come one day my demise. I don't want, like for instance, my mom is not my healthcare uh, power of attorney and I love my mom dearly. We love each other, but I really want her to be able to focus on grieving or on her needs and not necessarily on making health decisions with the physician. So, you know, I also had a conversation with her and my dad and my husband um, and the person that I chose as my healthcare power attorney. The way that I think about um, helping patients and their families talk about doing advanced care planning is really that these are, these are gifts that you leave your family. Um, talking about what you would want, what you wouldn't want, um, designating a surrogate decision maker to help you if you become incapacitated and can't speak for yourself is really a gift to your family so that they don't have to guess when a crisis comes the things that you may or may not want.